these are our cinematic roots. I mean, b before everything, before all these films worldwide, it was it all started with silent film. I'm Peter Creighton, and welcome to The Looking Glass, a program that examines the stories behind personal interests. A few years ago, I came across a news story which piqued my curiosity about silent films. The story was about the rediscovery of the very first Sherlock Holmes movie starring William Gillette. For many years, this film was thought to have been lost forever, but was rediscovered in a barn in France. I was kind of blown away by this and slightly confused. I mean, Sherlock Holmes is such a cultural icon, how could we lose his film in the first place? So, I did some preliminary research. Mainly, I googled it. And I was shocked to discover that over 75% of all silent films are now lost forever. That stat comes from the Library of Congress, and it utterly blows me away. So, I became interested in learning more about it. The silent film era is the movie business in its infancy, though some of the special effects and overall shooting structures are primitive by today's standards, these films still entertain audiences with their humor, drama, and adventure. On this edition of The Looking Glass, we will meet an individual who, for over 40 years, has been involved in showcasing silent films the way audiences saw them when they were first released almost 100 years ago. I call this entry the Photoplay Organist. My professional name is Jay Warren, J-Y-W-A-R-R-E-N, and uh, I accompany silent films. For over 40 years, Jay Warren has accompanied silent film screenings in the Chicagoland area. His passion for silent films first began as a child. Here, Warren recalls how he was first introduced to the genre. As a kid growing up in the 50s, we used to see a lot of uh, uh, slapstick comedy on TV, and somehow we were drawn to it. It mostly was the typical pie-in-the-face, Keystone Cops, uh, chase scenes, and uh, typical things of that, of that era. They still had a lot of uh, uh, programs that were like the perils of Pauline and you know you're riveted for the big ending and come back next week so um, we, we kind of got a big kick out of that because it was certainly different than anything else that was on TV at the time later on in the 60s uh, WTTW ran a, uh, a program called the toy that grew up and this is a series of feature silent films and uh, I just happened to stumble across one week they were showing the battleship Potemkin, which was certainly 180 degrees from the Keystone Cops. And uh, so I was watching this film, and wow, this is kind of cool, it's a serious film. And then, then came the, the famous uh, Odessa uh, scene, the, the Odessa step scene. And uh, that was very impacting on me, and I just came away with a whole different perspective of silent films. And so that, that that always stayed with me, and that, that sustained my interest for years uh, on silent cinema. Warren was hooked. The Battleship of Temkin showed him that even a film without sound was still dramatic 
and engaging. But the film wasn't completely without sound. Its musical score created atmosphere for the film. As Warren grew, so did his interest in silent films. But not just in viewing them, he wanted to be a part of the screening process. My involvement with a company, Silent Films, came early on. I had a, I had a, a church gig years ago. Then I also had a restaurant gig. But nothing to do with silent films. But every now and then, somebody would drag up an old projector and a movie screen, and we'd, we'd accompany them best we could, uh, not knowing all the nuances of, of, of that art. So later on, I became a general manager of a performing arts center, and we did a, a series of uh, classic films, and we included some silent films as well. And so I hired some local organists to play, and I thought, gee, that's a little lacking, you know, and being a musician, a keyboardist, I said, you know, I could do this. So there I went and scheduled myself to do The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Lon Chaney, and uh, I thought I had a pretty good score uh, that I uh, compiled, and uh, 20 minutes into the film, I was completely lost. <laughs> so I realized how easy it, it wasn't. So that became my mission, is to... Uh, to hone, hone my craft, so to speak, and uh, uh, I would perform here and there around the Chicago area doing silent films uh, several times a year. As time went on, I found myself doing more and more of the silent films, and I reached retirement age, and so I really thought I'd amp up my craft and um, playing more silent films now than I ever had before. As Warren previously mentioned, Scoring a silent film is not as easy as it sounds. There's lots of room for interpretation. Here, Warren explains his approach to scoring silent films and who inspired him along the way. A little bit of everything, actually. Uh, I had the great fortune to work with uh, a phenomenal organist by the name of Gaylord Carter. So he was a great inspiration for me, so I style my my way of doing films uh, uh, along his lines, which which is an understatement. Uh, nobody could really top him, but we try anyway. So so we compiled a lot of Gaylord Carter compositions. Uh, then later on, somebody handed me a big stack of silent film music that they found in a barn that they had bought uh, in Indiana. And so they said, here, you can use this. And it was uh, all different kind of music composed by mostly uh, a gentleman by the name of J.S. Zemishnik and William Axt, uh, amongst others. But those are the two most famous. You'll see their names in a lot of uh, uh, early uh, talking pictures, sometimes when they air on uh, TCM. Uh, they did background music for the talkies, you know, morphing from the silence into the talkies. But Zemishnik wrote so much uh, silent film music and these were like one page or two pages and they were suggestive themes and for instance uh, one would say well, one of the themes would be bad guys you know ambush at the pass so you would play 16 bars of bad guys ambush at the pass you would have uh, deep remorse then you'd play 16 bars of deep remorse. So you pick these different themes out 
accordingly. Now, the other source of music was what they called cue sheets. And these were similar to the, the thematic music I was just mentioning. And these were provided by the studios, by Paramount Pictures, MGM, and they would give you, once again, eight bars of music that is cued. And, and, and cueing would be perhaps a title card, which would say, close that door you know, up on the screen in between the, the intertitles. And so they'd put that down. So when you saw that, you would then go into this eight bars of close that door, even though that's the name for it. And then the next cue would be uh, he opens the door to the bedroom, and so then you would you would you would play that. And not not always was on tile cards; it would be scenes as well. And these were supplied by the studios, and the organist would 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 follow that accordingly. And of course, downtown in the big big theaters, say like the Chicago Theater, uh, they would have the orchestra and they would have full orchestral scores. Many of those are not with us anymore or are incomplete. And for my case, really wouldn't do that much for me. So I, I rely mostly on the move music, the uh, cue sheets if available, uh, a lot of the Gaylord Carter themes, and uh, my own compositions, which are done in the, the style and the spirit of, of the silent film era. Since Warren has been involved with silent films since childhood, I thought he would be the perfect person to discuss some common misconceptions of silent films. Misconceptions, I think people are initially disappointed. Maybe we got dragged to a silent film screening and they see that the, uh, the format is 133, which you know digitally today would be 4 by 5 mm-hmm. as opposed to 16 by 9 And it's black and white. And it's not restored, it's kind of scratchy. So that kind of goes against them, and they say, you know, they're, they're sitting there with their arms folded. And this lets me segue into something else. Uh, when I'm sitting at the front of the audience, I can hear everything. It's like the teacher in the classroom, right? And so uh, at the beginning of the film, I always like to use Phantom of the Opera as, a, as an example, because everybody's chewing their, their popcorn and, uh, crushing candy wrappers and coughing and all the usual crowd stuff. And uh, I hear this. And uh, there's that first scene when the Phantom speaks to Christine from behind her dressing room wall. So we have this real, that I wouldn't call it a scary thing, but more of a haunting musical segue uh, sequence. And immediately I hear everybody shut up. <laughs> and at that point, we've got them. Uh, same thing with Buster Keaton. A lot of times, you hear they are they're coming into the the theater, as I like to refer to it, as they got they've got their arms folded. So it's kind of a show me attitude. And at the beginning, they're laughing at the screen, and by the end of a, a film, say either by Harold Lloyd or Buster Keaton, they're laughing with Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd. So it's kind of fun for me to. To, to, to be able to hear this. Uh, I was playing a Harold Lloyd film at the Gateway Theater some years ago. Uh, we had 1,800 people on hand, and something happened to me that never happened before or since, uh, especially seeing we had this big crowd. And this is Harold Lloyd in the famous Safety Last film where he's climbing the uh, skyscraper. He ends up uh, with the hands on the clock, hanging from the hands of the clock. And uh, on the way up there, 
he's on the ledge of one of the floors, and the mouse comes out on the ledge and crawls up his pant leg. Well, I mean, that's not the funniest thing I've ever seen, but somehow the audience just thought it was uproarious. And at the moment the mouse went up into the pant leg of Harold Lloyd, they just let out with this big hoot, 1,800 strong, and it really threw me. I just It really shook me for a, for a second or so. Uh, didn't didn't expect that one coming from the crowd, and oh boy, they let loose. So kind of funny anecdote there. Often people comment that uh, inter- just as entertaining as the film was, just observing the audience because it's such a a mix of ages and backgrounds. And uh, Lillian Gish and some of the other uh, actresses of the silent film, actors and actresses of the silent film era. Uh, often thought that they were on the verge of a universal language uh, with the silent film. And uh, to a great extent, that is true. That's a pretty powerful statement, and one which I believe has some validity to it. As our conversation continued, Warren goes on to discuss the historical significance of silent film. I I often, two things, going back to my... uh, uh, admiration and inspiration from Gaylord Carter. When I saw him do a silent film, I got goosebumps. This guy was that good. And, and I said, I'm going to try and do that. If I can do that, I want to do it that way. And, uh, and hopefully we've delivered in, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, he had a real robust style of playing. He was not laid back. He was right in the thick of things. And that's where I like to do a film. So that's one of the things. Uh, I want to try to impress people with my performance, enhancing the film, not taking away from the film. I'll always underplay the film because the film is what it's all about. I'm there to enhance it, not to steal the show or play some bombastic number when it's not needed. And the other thing is I like to tell people that these are our cinematic roots. I mean, before everything, before all these films, worldwide, it, was, it all started with silent film. And admittedly, most of the early silent films were things like people going shopping on the street, you know, or farmer in the field. There were just scenes. And so until, until the, they added a plot to these films and they advanced the plot. So these are our cinematic roots, and I think that uh, it's important uh, to let people know that, hey, you're seeing something in its infancy. Warren is absolutely correct. These films are our collective cinematic roots and need to be cherished. In fact, Warren felt so strongly about this, he's taken a proactive approach. The result is the Silent Film Society of Chicago. You know, it's a, it's a group that we have formed. Uh, years ago, I used to do as I said, you know, a few silent films a year here and there. And uh, we started doing them maybe a little more frequently, and somebody said, you know, we ought to have a silent film uh, club. And so we formed it back in 1998, and uh, it aids us in... We do a festival every summer, and uh, it aids us in being able to rent the venues purchase the rights to the film, things like that. And then we offer the members a discount, so if they go to the films frequently, 
the membership kind of pays for itself. As I mentioned at the beginning of this program, the Library of Congress estimates that over 75% of all silent films created are lost forever, a fact that is not lost on the Silent Film Society of Chicago. While saving the actual film negatives is incredibly important, there is an often forgotten type of preservation that is lost to audiences. Let me allow Warren to explain. Well, I look at preservation is not what you think. We don't, we're not hands-on in the laboratory, restoring frame by frame. But our mission is to bring the art of the silent cinema to the forefront by presentation, uh, proper scoring. Uh, many silent films today are accompanied by a jazz group or some avant-garde score or electronic means. And all of those, from what I've seen, are done with the highest caliber of musicianship. But they don't belong up there with the silent film. They just have to be playing a score while something is going on. So our preservation point has changed through the years because our position uh, has changed through the years due to the elimination of 35 millimeter and some of the venues that we now use, and uh, so we we had to little we had to reinvent ourselves, and we were accentuating the correct music to be preserved too, and we bring this out at all our screenings that this the music is overlooked, the theater organ is overlooked. If you if you do any kind of research on silent film ever almost never is the theater organ mentioned and the theater organ was the the workhorse of the silent film era but as far as preservation goes uh, we have worked with ucla in forwarding some of our uh, receipts from the silent film festival to their film preservation efforts so i couldn't let our conversation end without asking warren what his favorite silent film is i like them all or i like most of them the one I, I think uh, say is one of my favorites would be Wings, the first Academy Award-winning film from 1927. It's a story of uh, World War One fighter pilots in a love triangle, and it stars Richard Ireland, Buddy Rogers, and the famous It Girl, Clara Bow. And it's a real two-handkerchief movie. As our conversation was coming to a close, I asked Warren about takeaways. What are some takeaways he would like to see a silent film newbie take away from their first screening of silent films. I'm going to preface it with the fact that um, one thing that we do with the Silent Film Society is we teach a little, but we entertain a lot. And you have to remember, these films were entertainment first. So when I go to a silent film somewhere where I'm not playing, you know, sometimes... They have great dissertations and introductions about the film, yada, 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 which is nice. And not as necessary as it used to be with all the wealth of information that's available on the Internet. Uh, I always introduce the film with some fun facts or what have you. But, you know, people go online and get, you know, 100 times the information I'm giving out at that point. So we, I've always reverted to let's entertain people. And so were you entertained? So to me, that's the thing. It's a good film, 
Was it entertaining? Well, that's what it's all about. And that's what it was all about. I have a whole new appreciation for silent films after my conversation with Jay Warren, photoplay organist and member of the Silent Film Society of Chicago. I no longer see silent films as some arcane form of entertainment. I now see them as a beginning, not just for film, but as the first step in a new evolution of storytelling. Storytelling is crucial to human life. We are entertained by stories. We learn from stories. Storytelling is an experience that is uniquely human. Don't be afraid of the unknown. Try something new. For what is old is new again. So try a silent film. This edition of The Looking Glass was written, recorded, and edited by Peter Creighton. The Looking Glass was created by Steven Anderson and me, Peter Creighton. A special thanks goes out to Jay Warren. For more information, please visit Jay's official website, silentfilmsjwarren.com. For the Silent Film Society of Chicago, please visit silentfilmchicago.com. For more information on The Looking Glass, please visit our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com slash lookingglasspodcast. You can also email the show at thelookingglasspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Peter Creighton, and cheers. Cheers.